Stephen, uh, thanks for being here. It's nice to see your faces. And uh, yeah, it's our gift day. And I love gift day. It's an opportunity for us to very tangible. I thought what Christine said in that video was just brilliant. Uh, just that very tangible way that we can express our love for God and faith and trust in him. So today I'm going to help us uh, by looking at a passage that talks about uh, giving uh, in the Bible. It comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And uh, chapters 8 and 9 talk loads about giving and lots of principles about it. Let me encourage you, go and read chapters 8 and 9. There's never been a time in my life where there hasn't been something relevant in that about the way that I am facing finance and what God has to say to me. But we're not going to look at the whole two chapters. We're just going to look at one particular verse. We're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. So let's put it on the screen. Um, I'm going to read it to us a couple of times and then you're going to read it as well. So get ready. Okay. And as you're listening to it or looking at it, we are going to have four points this morning. Just four little points. Two ways not to give and two ways to give. And so see if you can guess as we read it what those might be. So it says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me read it again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, your turn. Are you ready? Go. Each one must give... A cheerful giver. Fantastic. Okay. Right, as we go through, your spot uh, where I'm getting these points from. Okay, so we're going to briefly look at two ways not to give and two ways to give. But let's start with the ways not to give to start with. So the first one is not reluctantly. Okay, if you this morning are feeling reluctant about giving into the gift day, free pass, my friends. Do not give into the gift day. Simple. Hey, must move on. No, no. I have more to say on that. But maybe you are reluctant. God is not saying, he's not forcing you into it. He doesn't want a reluctant giver. So maybe that's where you are. But why are we sometimes reluctant? Sometimes I am reluctant to give. Why am I reluctant to give? Well, two reasons. I'm sometimes a bit greedy and sometimes I'm a bit fearful. Maybe you're in one of those camps this morning. Hey, I'm only a few minutes into my preaching. I'm already greed. You think, oh gosh, this is heavy. But it's not. Greed, well, is a serious thing. But let me put it in slightly nicer terms. Greed comes from loving things more than loving God. Loving money and possessions. And if that is the case, if that's where you are this morning, you think, I don't want to give into the gift day because I want what I have. And maybe you even say, I want more. Then actually this morning is an opportunity to repent. If you're spotting the reluctance in your heart because of that, this is an opportunity to give that reluctance a bit of a kicking. Turning from our love and worship and things and putting our worship and love in the right place towards God. Money and possessions are probably the clearest modern day example of what we see in the Bible as idolatry. Not many of us have idols kind of up in our homes that we bow down to. But the love and affection that we give for the things that are in our bank account or things in our homes or things that we want is often like worshipping an idol. Where we take things that are good and to be enjoyed and make them the focus of our attention and our affections. Gift days are a brilliant way of testing where our hearts are at with these things. Sometimes they give money away that we would much rather spend on other things or save towards other things. There's a good kind of barometer to find out where is our hearts actually at. What is more important to us? As we ask God, what would he have us give? Thinking, well, well I've got to give, but not that. 
That's the thing that I want. You begin to support that in your heart. You suddenly realize, oh, maybe some repentance is needed. I've said to God, God, you can have whatever you want at various points, but not this thing that I've ring-fenced. We've got this money for a holiday or a car or there's a future endeavour or maybe for you it's an investment or some future project that you've got that's in your mind. You think, oh God, yeah, I'm happy to give them the gift day, but just don't touch those things. There's a sense I wanted to keep hold. Those things are too precious, too precious to give away. Interesting, even in our video there, people just naming different times they've given something. They thought they were going to use the money for a car as it was with a face. They said, no, no, you know what, we're going to trust God to that. that he's asked us to give, so we are going to give. Maybe that God has asked you to lay down that particular thing this morning. Give away the money you had planned for something else. Maybe, so like the face, he gives it back to you. But he might be asking you to lay it down or give it up, not just for that, but because he wants to do something deeper in your heart. He wants to draw you to himself, to give up the things that your focus is currently on. Another way that we can be reluctant is because of fear. Fear that we left in lack. While I was preparing for today's sermon, I did a bit of research about the way that different generations view money. Now, I thought it would kind of take a part of my sermon, but I haven't got time to dig into it. But enough to say that whatever generation you're in, there's always reason to fear. So whether you lived in a post-war period or whether uh, you've been through a recession or cost of living crisis or through a pandemic or fearful for yourself or fearful what you're passing to your children, for all of us, there's reason at points to fear around finance. But Paul speaks to this. A few verses after the one we've read, he says this, He, i.e. God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul is reminding the Corinthians and he's reminding us that God is good. That God is our great supplier. Not many of us need seed, uh, but we need other things. And God knows our need. Jesus teaches a lot about this as well. He knows your need even before you ask. And he is well able to provide. In fact, he loves to provide. Many people in this church have stories of God's faithfulness, of experiencing God's goodness over decades. And we are commanded to not fear. Time and time again in the Bible, it says, take courage, trust in God with our whole lives. One of the ways this has played out in quite a dramatic fashion is the story of Abraham when he's asked to sacrifice, give up his son, Isaac. And uh, we looked at this story and you can understand because it's a quite strange story. It's worth unpacking properly. And we did that last year. So go and find that on our sermon uh, YouTube uh, channel. But in it, Abraham does follow through. He's like, in terms of kind of saying to God, okay, this son that I've been wishing and praying for 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 25 years, I am even going to give him up to you. He puts kind of his action where his faith was. He said he trusted God, but he proved his trust in God and gave Isaac, literally laid Isaac on an altar. Now, Isaac didn't die. Isaac didn't need to be sacrificed because God provided a ram. And this is the first time in the Bible that God is referred to Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. If you're a believer here this morning, say, God, I, and we say, I trust God. I trust that God is able to be my provider. Maybe this morning is an opportunity just to prove that. Say, God, I really do trust you. I won't let fear and reluctance rule me. I'll let faith and trust rule me instead. I'm going to bring my offering, trusting that you are well able to provide. You are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. So that's the first one. 
don't do it reluctantly. Second one, not under compulsion. If you are feeling compelled, if you're feeling forced to put upon this morning, there's a free pass for you as well. Do not give into the gift day. If that's how you're feeling, please do not give. That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm telling you. There was a time when, excuse me, There was a time when the laws in the Old Testament stipulated that to be part of the people of God, men, you had to give. You had to give monthly, you had to give yearly, you had to give it every three years. They had to give in certain, certain festivals. You had to give. And if you didn't give, it meant you couldn't come to the temple. It means you couldn't have your sins atoned for. It meant that you might even be ostracized from the community. Let me tell you, if you are part of Emmanuel this morning, if you do not give, your status and manual does not change. Now we, as pastors, we love you. And we want to teach you and teach you principles about giving and why we would give. We're not checking, okay? We're not checking. None of the pastors here know how much... Thank you, darling. We don't know how much you give. We don't want to know that information. We want to teach you because we want your hearts to be free. We don't want you to live in fear or in greed. We want, to give you, we want you to give generously in the way that God is calling us all to be a part of. But no one's checking in to find out whether you are giving or not. Now, there's no external pressure on us anymore in that way. There's only two people in our finance department who knows what are given. So there's no external pressures. But there can still be upon us inner pressure, inner compulsion. I was thinking about this this week and thinking there's two ways maybe. Maybe you're in here this morning thinking, maybe if I give this morning, I can earn more of God's favour. I don't know much of his love, so I'm going to try and get his love by doing this. Or maybe you're trying to win other people's favour. Well, if there's any sense of you trying to win God's favour, let me tell you that if you're trying to win favour or forgiveness or God's love by giving this morning, then your understanding of what Jesus has done is totally warped and wrong. There is a payment that you are due to pay. To be a part of this church, to be part of God's family, to have your forgiveness, um, to, to get the forgiveness of your sins. A payment is due, but it's not a payment you can pay, and it's a payment that's already been paid. That is what Jesus did on the cross. When he hung upon that cross with his arms outstretched, when bleeding and dying in your place, that was payment, and that was payment enough. You cannot add to it, you shouldn't add to it, and you cannot add to it. It is enough. There's nothing you can add to it. Whenever we try and add to it, we actually move into sin. He said, no, don't do that. Jesus plus nothing else equals the eternal life that he has won for us. The grace of God is a free gift to you. You do not pay for it. It is given freely. So this morning, if that's where you are struggling... Can I earn God's favour? Let me encourage you. The answer is no. And maybe instead of giving into the gift day today, you just need to come and receive the love of Christ. Come and receive his free gift of righteousness. We'd love to talk to you more about that. God's grace and his Holy Spirit is much better than what the law ever could do. There are laws in place that people had to pay to approach God. There's no payment now. What we give now, we give out of a love offering to God. Out of freedom not out of reluctance, not out of compulsion, but out of freedom and love we now give. And there can be another type of compulsion, maybe another force at work, and that's pride. Caring about what other people think about our giving, or even what we care about, kind of uh, what we care about our own giving. A desire to see, be seen to be doing what is right. 
Um, there's a whole genre of social media right now uh, where people kind of uh, film extraordinary acts of charitable giving. I don't know if you've seen this. Mr. Beast would be probably the most famous one who makes lots and lots of money by giving lots and lots of money away. And uh, there's lots of debate about whether that's a good thing or not. But he's genuinely doing good things. But is it right to do it in such a kind of him-centred way? I, I don't know. Maybe it is a good thing. But for us as believers, that's definitely not how we're meant to give. We're meant to give in a way that gives glory to one person, to Jesus. That's the way that we are to give. Because if we're giving out any motivation about pleasing others, well, if it stops pleasing others, maybe we'll stop giving. And maybe if the thing that we're giving to is not very click-worthy, like toilets, maybe we won't give. But when it's motivated by love for God or giving God glory, well, then actually we can continue to give and keep giving. I've experienced a sense of being under my own sense of force and compulsion at points. I think I've been part of lots of gift days. I mentioned last week's probably 50 plus gift days. And uh, I remember there's a couple where we were able to give really generously. Like God had just given us big gifts and we're able to give a large portion of it to him. But the next gift day, I was like, oh, we haven't got that. We've only got a little bit. And I was kind of a bit grieved by it. I think maybe we should just try and do this or maybe we can, you know, it'll put us into debt, but that's okay. Or I was thinking, I had to really kind of check myself. And I was, actually, I'm putting something on myself that God's not putting on me. Actually, each time a gift day is one of which I say, God, what would you have me give this time? And there might be some kind of usual pattern to that, but really it's meant to be a faith journey, a conversation with God. He's personable. He loves you. He's not ticking off, ticking off a box or seeing how you did last time or how you're doing compared to someone else. No, he's just in a relationship with you saying, what will you trust me with this time? Instead of feeling compelled, feeling forced, we are to be free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're not to feel bound up as we give today. We're to be free as we do so. Which leads us to the two ways we should give. So the first one is thoughtful. Let me read the verses to you again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Must be those who have decided in, in our hearts. We're not giving our fear or greed or being compelled or being forced to give today. We are being invited to give what each of us has decided to give. Each of us, every person in this room has a decision to make about how much they're going to give into the gift day today. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe that's the right thing today. Maybe it's one pound. Maybe it's ten pounds. Maybe it's a hundred pounds. Maybe it's a thousand pounds. Maybe it's ten thousand pounds. Maybe it's a hundred thousand pounds. That would be crazy. It wouldn't be the first time that someone has put in a hundred thousand pounds into a gift day. That's crazy. But it happens. What would God have you give? But often when we read the Bible, we read it through a lens of me, me, me. And we're often as preachers, we're trying to lift our eyes. They know often when it says you in the Bible, it's talking to us as a community and us corporately. And let's make sure we lift our, 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 up our eyes out of our own little kind of individualistic thinking. But this verse really is written to individuals. It's saying, what will you decide to give? You have to make a decision before God today. Make it along biblical lines. Do it thoughtfully. Do it mindfully. And let me help you how you can do that. First thing to do is pray. Deb's even earlier just said, hey, make sure you're praying even today about what you can give. Even now, just sit and say, God, what is it you want me to give? Maybe you've been praying this week about what it is that you are going to give. Pray to God. Maybe involve some other people in that. If you're married, that's a good, good, good thing to be praying, praying together. Maybe something's good to pray with friends. Hey, what should we give? 
you know, the time that my, I felt like my, my uh, kind of uh, spiritual life was a bit dull. And uh, started praying with a friend of mine. Hey, you know what? I don't want to be dull anymore. Let's pray that God's helps us to be zealous. And I felt like God just highlighted to me once again. Hey, maybe it's time to up your giving. Maybe it's time to up, up your game then. Up, up your trust in what you're going to trust me with. So let's be prayerful. Let's be those who steward well. It's not a particularly exciting word, stewardship, but it's a biblical word. Look at what God has given you to steward. He's given you yourself, the gifts and talents and abilities. He's given you your particular position in life, your workplace, your, the people you do life with. He's given you what's in your bank account and your possessions. How each of us are to, before God, steward it. Look after what God has given you. Use what God has given you. Spend what God has given you. Save what God has given you. And give what God has given you. He cares about what you do with all of it. Not just the slice that you might give into a gift day. Which way is it steward? How do we steward? Well, to steward something, you need to know what you've got to start with. And so as a pastor, I often talk to people about budgets and spreadsheets. And I saw a meme this week that said there's two types of people in the world. Those who are fluent with Microsoft Excel... And people who are happy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I too chuckled. I want you to know I am happy. I am also fluent at Microsoft Excel. I'm not a spreadsheet basher. I love spreadsheets. And I love maths and formulas. It's all good. And uh, you know what? They're a good thing. The budget apps are good things. Knowing what you've got and where it's going is good stewardship. And we don't want to knock it. And so maybe before you give this morning, you need to go and check your banking out, check your budget sheets. You need to think, what's coming out? What's, what's it, what gap is this going to leave? I spend it on this, where, where's it going you know, to leave some black? We need to be those who are good at stewing things. Because we care about what God has given us, and we care about the things that God is calling us into. Stewarding what we have starts with knowledge of where our money goes. Very clearly, Jesus says, as disciples, we're to count the cost. says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. We need to be aware of the impact of our giving today on our finances and our responsibilities. We need to be aware, even as believers, of following Jesus is costly. But just because it's costly doesn't mean we should not count the cost. Last one, sacrifice. Being a good steward doesn't mean that we don't get to be exciting. Doesn't mean we don't get to sacrifice though. We can work out what we can afford, we can work out what we think is appropriate, but then we let God speak. I say, yeah, yes God, but what would you have me give? And maybe today you are going to create a gap in your budget sheet that you don't know how to fill. I've loved doing this over the years. The point of saying, okay, God, we're going to put ourselves in a place of need that only you can fill. I wonder if uh, in the West, or uh, we, we struggle sometimes with uh, knowing as much of God's work in our lives as some other nations do, because we're so comfortable. We're able to work out and find ways through. We've got all kinds of safety nets. Maybe that's not your position. I don't want to be callous about that. But that's often the case for us right now in Brighton. I suppose that's not the case. There's a sense we have to lean on God. Well, maybe this morning there's an opportunity to create the gap that causes you to begin to lean on God. Jesus teaches us to count the cost, but not to minimise it. 
We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was wrestling with what it's going to cost him to go to the cross. He wrestled. Not my will, but yours be done, eventually said. And decided to endure the cross. Endure the cost for the joy set before him. Winning you and me. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are called also to count the cost. For example, a bit earlier in uh, this uh, uh, letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says this about the Macedonians, not the church. For they gave according to their means. Think, oh, they obviously got out their spreadsheets, their checks. According to our means, we can give this. Then he says, as I can testify, and beyond their means. What is it for for you this morning to give an appropriate amount, but then some? Say, God, would you help me to be prayerful? Would you help me to be a good steward? But also, would you help me to sacrifice as well? Let's finish with the fourth one. To be cheerful. Each one of you give as you have decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We're to be those who give cheerfully this morning. It might be one of the items that we're giving to brings you a sense of joy and cheer. I have to say our kids' work videos are brilliant. And I love the fact we're investing in creating more of them. And they are a blessing to our children in this church. Do you know what? I was with the, with the church that we planted into Belfast this week, their team. And uh, they all love those videos too. And uh, they bumped into George Benson in our building this week, who's the Badger. And uh, if you don't know what that is, go and check out our YouTube and check out what the Badger has to say about Jesus. And uh, they're brilliant videos that help our children understand more about God and grow up in it. I get pretty excited. I think that's a joyful thing to give to. Maybe you're like, praise the Lord, we're investing in some toilets. Maybe that's going to bring you joy uh, this morning. But maybe the item's on the list. But I want to give you two other reasons that we can be cheerful and joyful this morning as we give. First one is, let love lead you. Being thoughtful, thinking on God's love, creates in us a cheerful, joyful, giving spirit. Being thoughtful isn't just about looking at our spreadsheets. It's also about looking up at Jesus, turning our eyes upon him. When we look at him and see his incredible love for us, inspires us to love him in return. When we think about who he is, what he's done for us, And also the amazing privilege of being part of what he's doing on the earth. It creates in us an exuberance. It changes what we think is appropriate. Cheerfulness and joy are followed by lavishness and exuberance and abundant giving. God, he's pleased to tell us what it costs to purchase us. The blood of his very own son. For the joy of having you in his family, Jesus endured the cross. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved, so loved the world, that he gave his only son. It's because of love for us. We, let, we need to let those passages, those verses, just land in our hearts. What loved people we are. And then respond in love. I want you to tell you, tell you, this church gets this. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he praised the Macedonian church. You know what? I think he praised this church. This church knows what it is to dwell on the love of God and to respond in love back to God. Given millions upon millions of pounds into ministry and church planting and caring for the poor. I love being part of this church. My family... um, I'd like, to, I'd like to think the Dawsons, that we are fun people and that we are generous people. I think that's one of the characteristics. I think if you stick around us a little while, that's what you'd find out about the Dawsons. But you know what? I think we are fun, joyful, giving people because this is the place I learned to do family. 
This is where I grew up. This is where I got mad. This is where I had my kids. And actually, it's rubbed off of me. If you don't want to be someone who's joyful and generous, then this is not a church for you. Because it's going to rub off on you. Stick around a while. These wonderful, magnificent saints who have given over many years, over decades, you know what? They're going to influence you. They are. And you're going to end up parting with money. You will. It'll rub off on you. And it's rubbed off on me. And it's done me. It's done my family so much good. Generosity leads to joy. Being appropriate doesn't. Starts with appropriate, but generosity goes over and above. Have you ever spent money on something that you are almost embarrassed to tell other people about? You know you've spent that money. You think, if I tell someone it costs that much, they might look at you a bit funny. I think there is something built into women. Massive comment here. And generality around this. That's almost like the opposite. Like, I witnessed this conversation going on time. Someone says, oh, I love that top. And the first thing is going to say, you never know how much it costs. It basically costs nothing. Uh, they're giving away for free. There's never a sense of like, I know. And it was worth the money I spent on it. No, no, there's, a, there's an immediate sense like, no, it's rubbish, basically. Oh, I got it out of this bargain bin. Uh, but the obviously, I think for me, I'm like, I'm often a bit embarrassed about what I've spent on things, particularly when it comes to my hobbies. And so uh, I was into motorcycling for quite a few years. And I just, I, I like motorcycling itself, but I just love the gear. And, uh, you know, I'd just go to the motorcycle shop, just have a little poodle around, think, oh, I bought something else. And I was like, where have you got the money for that? So, um, a bit like that. And uh, I've recently taken up cooking, uh, which is a little less adrenaline fueled. And, uh, but I'm falling, I'm falling in love with cooking, and I spent quite a bit of money on some knives. And uh, this week, I bought a pestle and mortar. And, uh, yeah, because I'm enjoying grinding my own spices. And uh, that's the thing. I was like, I could just buy the ground ones, but no. I'm going to say I'm going to buy the ones that aren't ground and grind them. That's an unnecessary expense. Why have I done this? Because I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning to love to cook. It's taken till I'm 41, but I'm getting there. Our worship to God, our giving to God comes out of love and joy. That means we, other people will look at us and think, that is unnecessary. That is inappropriate, the amount you are giving to that church, that you are giving to God. But that's what happens when we meet God, when we fall in love and let his love affect us. We see this in the scriptures, when this woman who comes before Jesus and breaks this extravagantly expensive perfume bottle and uh, puts it on his feet. And others are looking on, judging, how can you give that to Jesus? It's because they didn't realize the love that that woman had for Jesus. Or more importantly, the love that she had received from him. It was a totally appropriate response, the extravagant love that she had received. I had a church member come up to me last year. And they said, Stephen, can I speak to you about the number of gift days? So you just take a little deep breath. You're like, sure, I'd love to talk to you about that. And uh, they said, Stephen, during the pandemic, uh, we went from three gift days down to two gift days. And so I got to the end of the year, my tax return, and I remember my wife noticed that we've given less money. Uh, so obviously you give our monthly num- number, but we, uh, each time there's a gift campaign, we spend some time praying and saying, God, what will we give? Because we only did that twice, we gave less as a result. I said, okay. So, so are you or not going, are you, are, you, are you not going to institute another gift day? I was like, this is a mental conversation. What are you talking about? They're like, yes, you want more opportunities to give? Like, yes. I was like, noted. We now have three gift days. Who does that? Who says, please, can I part with more of my money? People who have seen Jesus. 
Let his love land in their hearts so they can have more opportunities to give. Okay, last point I'm going to make. This is a phrase I've learned recently called joyful subtraction. And I kind of uh, taught a little bit a few weeks ago and we talked about the baby Thanksgiving, talking to the story of... Um, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, this is from a guy called Adam Frowl, who leads the church that Simon Becky Cox are now the worship leaders at, just a bit of context. And uh, he was, I was in a session with him recently, and he was talking about this, this principle. Well, this little boy, there's two fish and uh, five loaves. He gives it to Jesus. There's this subtraction. He has to let go of what is in his hands. He has to give away his lunch. There is a subtraction for him, but it's a joyful one. Because as the story plays out, what happens 5,000 men and their families get fed. Thousands upon thousands of people get fed because Jesus takes our little, what seems like a lot to us maybe, but he takes really our little subtraction and he multiplies it into something amazing where people are blessed. And actually, there's leftovers. There's 12 baskets left over. And I, I said, said to you a few weeks ago, I'm hoping the boy asked for one of those baskets to take home with him. Say, Mum, I gave my lunch up and look what I got back in return. It's like, where'd you get that from? And uh, no, that's a joyful subtraction happening this morning. We are going to watch our bank accounts go down. But it's a joyful thing because God will take the little that we give and he will multiply it. That our children are blessed, our young people are blessed, that people, more people are trained, that we have a better place to host people as they come into our building. We pray also there's a multiplication of love and generosity in our own hearts as well. This is a joyful subtraction. We don't need to uh, be reluctant with it. We don't need to be fearful. We can just trust that God, as we give, and there's a subtraction in our own lives, that he'll multiply it into something much better. Last week, we uh, had, test, we had uh, uh, baptisms in the evening service. Four young people got baptised. And uh, the social media team have done a brilliant job. You can go and watch it on Instagram. Just uh, little snippets of their stories and seeing them get baptised. And whenever I see baptisms, there is a wonderful proof saying, God, thank you for what you've done. But you know what? You can also say, thank you that I'm a part of that. My giving, my serving is a part of that. And I see our children growing in love for Jesus. I think, hey, I'm part of that. So if you give today, you are part of what God is doing in and through this church. <coughs> Glory to God, but thanks to you as well. We know that joyful subtraction is the way of Jesus' kingdom because of his most important demonstration of it. Jesus dying was the best joyful subtraction that ever happened. One death that resulted in uh, millions, billions of people receiving eternal life. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus went through the joyful subtraction and he's inviting us to do the same this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for just the way you've just exhibited it in all kinds of ways, down through the centuries, down through our lives, down through our days. Thank you through this church, Lord God. But Lord, we just look at the cross again and say, God, there's nothing like it. Lord God, that you gave up so much for us out of your great, incredible love. When we say, God, would that just land in hearts this morning? I pray for the person who's feeling most reluctant or fearful or greedy this morning. Lord God, I want to pray. Help just to turn their eyes upon you, Jesus, and what you have done. 
And I pray their heart might begin to align, Lord. Pray for those who are feeling ready to give this morning, Lord. I just want to pray just for faith again. Give us trust and help as we do this, uh, God. And uh, we want to pray, Lord God, that as we do so, Lord, we might just experience more of your love. Lord, we might experience even our love for you growing in this way, Lord God. Not being appropriate in, in a kind of a holding back sense, but appropriate in a sense that we really get it. We get it like this woman who broke perfume on your feet and respond accordingly, Lord God. So be with us now, we pray as we give. In Jesus' name, amen.